This is 80 Conversations. You can listen to the back catalogue at architecturetoday.co.uk forward slash podcast. Hi, I'm Isabel Allen, the editor of Architecture Today, and I'm talking to two practicing architects, Marion Bailey, a partner at PDP, and Richard Jusitsky, who's the founder of RDA Architects. Both Marion and Richard are specialists in passive house retrofit. So, Marion, I'm going to start with you. How did you get involved in Passive House? So, um, a little bit by a sort of accident in the sense that um, now it must have been almost 15 years ago, I, I was frustrated of practicing uh, my profession without enough um, consideration for the environment. So I decided to retrain and go embark on a Master of Sustainable Design at the University of East London. And the software they usually, uh, they were used to, to use at the university uh, went from being free for students to being astronomically uh, expensive. So the fallback position was actually the Passive House planning package, which was the software, which is basically an Excel spreadsheet to model uh, the energy of buildings um, to meet Passive House standards. That was my beginning of um, coming to uh, face the new way of designing buildings to Passive House. And Richard, what's, what's your story? When I was studying at Liverpool Poly back in the mid eighties, we used to do trips to CAT uh, Centre of Alternative Technology and a bunch of hippies up on the hill basically in the mid-80s um, uh, with uh, composting loos and so forth but that really um, created a lot of interest in um, sustainability for me and sustainability was always um, something that I was very interested in but when I went to do my postgraduate, it was something I um, totally uh, threw away but when I came back into practice I got, I got into it and I started by uh, working with um, the Code for Sustainable Home, Homes, primarily, with buildings back in the 2000s and the noughties, effectively. And around 2010, um, I heard about Passive House Planning Package. And uh, I heard about Passive House Planning Package, and I realised all this stuff that I've been doing using um, the code and also sub-calculations and using um, different software, which was SAPA, all sorts of other types of um, software. I realized PHPP was far more scientific and far easier to apply to a whole house. That basically got me building our first passive houses around 2011, 2012. And I'd already built um, a number of houses before, which were code level four and five, well, mainly five, trying to go up to six. But um, the PHPP planning package, same as Marion, um, was very much um, something I thought was fantastic because it just meant that you had one piece of software that you could actually look at and it would determine the outcome and the outcome is very factual. The outcome is how many kilowatts of energy you would use per metre squared per annum. I mean, you know, you can't argue with that. But it's interesting, isn't it, that, you know, you two were obviously attracted by the fact that it was so scientific and definitive. But I think that's kind of precisely the thing that maybe slightly puts some people off. <laughs> so what would you say to architects out there who care about sustainability and are kind of doing the best they can, but like, you know, we're making pragmatic decisions. There's always other things about cost, planning regs, client taste, whatever it is. 
the last thing we need is somebody telling us we haven't tried hard enough. To people who think it's complicated, I'd say, actually, it's the reverse for me. It's super simple because you have a verification sheet that gives you one number. It's either red, green or red. <laughs> if it's green, you're good to go. If it's red, you need to work harder. That is it. And, and, and for a lot of people who say, where do I start? How do I go back doing it? It's complicated. I don't understand where, you know, it, it actually it gives us a method that is very clear, very transparent, very easy to understand. It's a bit cumbersome, but all in all, it's actually quite easy to understand. It's not complicated, it's just time consuming, but it gives you a really clear outcome, answer at the end. It's either it works or it doesn't work. What's changed in terms of the Passive House Trust thinking and guidance? And what's changed in terms of the take-up generally? I sit on the board of the Pass Fast Trust for the last seven years, so I've seen it growing from a little organisation looking after a, a few members to, to growing exponentially and looking at thousands of units across the whole of the UK and hundreds of members now. So I think the challenge really is to cope with demand right now. It's completely gone through the roof. Uh, the interest on passive house building is really, really, especially in the last year, grown um, enormously to um, to the benefit of, of, of the whole construction industry, really. Uh, we just need to make sure that we can meet the demand and the expectations of the industry. Richard, you were very much a niche player, weren't you, at the start? It's no longer something I have to sell to my clients. It's something that clients want. So for the last 10 years, the sort of niche aspect of it is how can we improve it? So I always used to use um, Kingspan SIPs panels to do passive houses back in the 2010s to 2015. And really now I'm looking at more wood fibre. I'm looking at more natural products. So that's really the change that I see. But I think the adoption of passive house standards is pretty large. I mean, it's also been used by a lot of planners um, because we tend to put it through at planning stage. So we try and develop a building at very early stages. I must also say there is another very simple bit of software that we use a hell of a lot, which actually simplifies the process, which is a plug-in for SketchUp. But so that's another way. So if you rotate the building a little bit, you can see suddenly going from green to red, or you know, or red to green. You know, so all of these sort of items there are there to help you. So to answer your question, I've seen a greater adoption from the local authorities but not so much from a conservation point of view. That brings us neatly onto Enerfid. And of course, the, the Passive House Trust have done some very important work recently in trying to develop a set of standards to work to when working with historic building stock. Why is retrofit so important? What's wrong with most of our housing stock? I know that these figures have been mentioned many times over, but they, they are worth mentioning again, uh, which is that 27% of the actual CO2 emission of the country comes from building and 18% from domestic buildings. So there is a huge responsibility on our shoulders to address um, the, this CO2 emission baggage that the, the industry carries with it. So, um, so we, we have to... Uh, embrace the decarbonisation of uh, the operation of our existing buildings and and, uh, how we can do that is by retrofitting our buildings. This is AT Conversations. You can listen to the back catalogue at 
architecturetoday.co.uk forward slash podcast. Since I started on the subject uh, uh, about 10 years ago, actually, it, the, the sort of target has changed. While before we were still relying on potential gas boilers and reducing the demand to the absolute minute minimal, now it's more about, because of the decarbonization of the grid having gone so well, it's more about making sure that um, a building can be operated via the electricity grid and no, no more connection to uh, the uh, fossil fuel energy. As long as you can operate your, your building with an ASS heat pump or uh, electric system, you don't necessarily need to go down right down to the level of NFIT. Um, and uh, some people might might uh, contradict me, but I think really there is more of a consensus right now about uh, not going as far, um, but as a minimum meeting the the, the conundrum of, of being able to to operate your house with an SOC pump, which doesn't need the level of insulation that you would for um, an NFIT project, for example. So it's, it's, a, it's a change of target. I think it's true what you're saying, but I think there is, I think you do need to start looking at the different standards. So we go from ACB carbon light to pH low energy to NFIT to passive house to passive house plus to passive house plus plus. So there's a whole range of different standards that you've got. And um, I think it, it's adopting these standards. And whether these standards get adopted with building regs or whether they get adopted by planning, I think is really, really important because the current building reg standards of 86 kilowatts per meter squared, it's not really good enough. And um, my thought is, you know, you really need to be going a lot, a lot better than that to try and get to the 2030 targets, 2040, you know, 2050 targets. We're never going to get to reach them in the current, um, in the current time. But going back to Isabel's question, which is more about housing stock and what we do with our leaky stock and how we actually deal with it. I think the major problem here is insulation, is how do we insulate these buildings and how do we actually get them to be more airtight. You can slowly do this. I mean, we've done two NFIT projects. And the first one we did was about four years ago. And it's a Georgian building. It was the first Georgian building. It's in Kennington in London. And it's a full certified um, NFIT project. And um, the clients were very, um, they they were very, very into uh, creating an ecologically sound house for, for their family. And they were looking at allergy proof um, house as well. And we sort of snuck it in, you know, because they, they didn't really want to spend the extra money on getting an NFIT. But we sort of said, well, if we just do this or we tweak this. And at that point in time, we managed to get it through at that level. I think the biggest problem that I see with our current existing housing stock, which leaks, is how, how do we empty that, that stock to actually do the retrofit? You know, do people, you know, basically with our office building, well, that's great. It stopped having an office use. We've got a new office. It's a derelict building, effectively. We didn't want to destroy that building because the carbon content that was inherent in the brickwork already would have made it, it would have been crazy. So we built a building within a building, and that was one way of actually dealing. But you lose you lose space on the inner walls, and that is uh, occasionally it, it can be problematical. 
For you, I can see it makes total sense because it's a calling card. It's your USP, it's your passion, it's your life project, it's a research project, it, it, it's your family home as well. And it's the living embodiment of your family values and it does many, many things. But I'm sure it would have been cheaper to demolish it and start again. What mechanisms can the public sector or the private sector indeed introduce that actually make deep retrofit make sense to people who have to work to normal budgets and normal financial agendas? It still works out to be like £2,000 a square metre. Yeah, so um, that's pretty reasonable. I think it's £1,840. So, you know, it's not it's not OTT. Um, but I think what we've got to look at is how we can have zero rated for VAT um, on, uh, on retrofit. I, I think it's crazy that we have to pay VAT on uh, on retrofitting a building. Um, there are certain ways you can claim that back. Um, there are um, there are models around whereby you can claim certain amounts for insulating building, but it gets very complicated. Um, I think in the public sector, I think if you if you do something at large enough scale, economies of scale do come in. But again, you've got to think about um, the orientation of the building, the shape of that building. But then, as I said earlier on, you don't necessarily have to get to Enerfit or Passive House. You can go to, let's say, AECB Carbon Light, which is only 40, you know, 40 kilowatts per, per meter square per annum, as opposed to 20 to 25 kilowatts on Enerfit. So there are different stages. And I think the question is, how do you stage it? Um, currently, we have a problem because we're trying to retrofit one building in Lewisham, and uh, it's in a conservation area. And we are not allowed to render the rear of a building at all, and, you know, to put, put external insulation on. And therefore, we start losing a lot of space internally, and therefore it becomes more expensive. It's far easier, far cheaper to do external insulation far easier and cheaper. So really, um, the question is, do we look at our existing, and do we say to ourselves from a streetscape, we'll keep the front elevations, we'll keep the streetscape, but we'll modernize the rears where no one can see it. This is where I find it really awkward with conservation departments, because conservation suddenly trumps everything else. And um, it becomes, it becomes, it makes it very, very difficult. And uh, a lot of London and a lot of areas in inner cities are in conservation areas. And I, I totally get it because, I, you know, I, I think they, they were set up in the late 60s with a very valid point. Um, and, um, but I think it's at what level? Yeah, and I think that needs to be looked at. I'm interested in, you know, your point that the, the kind of the system's the wrong way around. And I think what everything you're saying is, is uh, spelling out very clearly is that actually retrofitting our housing stock one house at a time is uh it's interesting as a project and it's very good in terms of setting out an agenda but it's not fast enough and we somehow need systems that allow you know neighborhoods streets tower blocks whatever it is to become clients as a whole so um what that suggests to me is that uh, the great estates maybe have a role to play registered social landlords have a role to play public sector has a role to play what's being done to that end what's being done to incentivize those kind of you know those really big property owners to lead the way in terms of a retrofit agenda 
Well, I would say that um, quite a lot of them have uh, declared a climate emergency. And so they have a duty to look at all their carbon emission around their, uh, their entire stock, whether it, it's councils or greater estate or social landlords. Uh, pretty much all of them have declared, uh, well, majority of them have declared a climate emergency. Now, what's happening is that they don't know how to actually do it. So we need to, to help them do it. And retrofitting is not as um, uh, a new build project where, where you, you might have um, you know, a quite clear process to follow. Uh, retrofit, I usually explain that it's, it's everything that you have to do for a new build passive house with the moisture problem on top. And so mm-hmm. if you don't understand moisture behavior in a building, you're, 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 you're missing all the points of retrofitting or all the complexity of retrofitting. So it's all about understanding what material, at the moment you introduce a new material in an existing envelope, you need to understand the effects of it. And this is the complexity of retrofitting and why people say, oh, it's too complicated. I wanna, don't want to hear about it because uh, you have to understand core bridges. You, don't, you have to understand the breathability of your materials, the porosity of the brickwork, et cetera, the orientation, the, the eaves depths, et cetera. It's, every single one is a prototype, pretty much. So uh, while there is some rule of thumbs, uh, for example, for 1960s stock, which is much easier to retrofit because you might go about uh, insulating uh, the cavities and that's easier than insulating internally a solid masonry work. Um, we have to, you know, we, we have to be clear on what the what the target is. Is are we aiming to retrofit to net zero every single building of the country, which clearly isn't going to be feasible, or are we going to address the most effective stock first to try to get there, you know, en masse faster? Uh, and perhaps this is the cavity wall. And uh, you might, I'm working uh, with a a fantastically talented group of people on the new Letty retrofit guide, um, which illustrates that that you know the solid masonry walls are definitely the least efficient, um, but they are not the most numerous across the country. So it would be almost more effective to uh, address all the cavity wall buildings en masse uh, because it's easier, and then leave the the sort of uh, uh, solid, uh, solid wall to uh, people who really understand how to go about retrofitting carefully these buildings. There's a lot of scaremongering within the industry. Post Grenfell, uh, which effectively is a retrofitted, um, cladded building. Um, post all that happened in the 70s with the double glazing and the interstitial condensation build-ups with mould. Um, you've got a lot of tower blocks, um, you know, whether it was from the Ellsbury estate, whether it was wherever it was, where the glazing was replaced with plastic windows, which didn't allow ventilation. And uh, you end up with, uh, with bathrooms with mould. If you don't understand the build-up of um, how condensation forms and where it does and where mould grows and so forth, you can risk to, to have a, a bigger problem. You're listening to 80 Conversations with me, Isabel Allen. The back catalogue is available at architecturetoday.co.uk forward slash podcast. By doing these niche one-off houses, 
that shows the proof is in the pudding. It gives you examples. And I think that's really, really important. Whether it's a passive house or whether it's Letty, the knowledge that is transferable is something that really we want the bigger developers to actually pick up on and talk to us and talk, talk to practice um, really about, about this, because this is a real, it's a way forward. The younger generation, I'm thinking of my teenagers and what sort of housing stock they'll want in a few years' time. They don't want your classic noddy Barrett houses. They would want passive houses. They would want retrofitted. They want, they want stuff whereby they feel they are doing some good. And I think that's really, really important to bear that in mind. And I'm already finding it from a sales point of view, from the passive houses that we've got, that we built even 10 years ago, they are attracting higher values. So, um, you know, all of a sudden, instead of thinking, oh, it's going to cost me 6% more, well, you can say, you can look at it the other way around. Well, actually, I can get 10% more on the resale. So all of a sudden, you know, that's paid for plus 4%. Um, and, uh, you know, so in, in, terms of the, in terms of that sort of factor, that is the way to sell to developers. And t- talking of the younger generation, are we training our architects to to actually understand these principles because I have to say you know I went through my entire architecture education and I don't think anybody ever mentioned the word moisture. To answer your question more and more is done absolutely and 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 uh, interestingly enough this year and especially the last six months I must have been asked close to I don't know uh, at least six or seven times to talk to university on retrofit specifically and and this is this is new. And you know, to some extent, Richard and I were a pioneer uh, too early. And ten years ago, people were not so interested. But in the last year, with the climate emergency, etc., um, the the topic has risen th- uh, to to the the top of of the attention of people much much more than it has ever in the last ten years. And the number of people who are asking me for my book now this year. And the you know is is a lot more than it has been over the last ten years. <laughs> what about skills in terms of the trades? And I know that uh, a few years ago it was always well the products aren't available, or if they are, they're prohibitively expensive, or they have to be imported from overseas, and that raises problems of its own. Or uh, you know you can use traditional bricklayers or whatever, but nobody wants to have kind of niche trades because you feel like you're you're held over a barrel because there's very few people in the market is is that changing quickly enough or is that still an issue i personally think that there's been a big change uh builders are beginning to understand uh the need for air tightness uh we have to do air tests within buildings now um pretty much any new build the products are available uh the they're not difficult to get uh, get hold of there's lots of suppliers there's special building merchants you know if you look through the magazines you'll find um, ecological building merchants that will supply you products. You can get a lot of stuff from the main suppliers. So the air source heat pump I bought through Travis the other day. Yeah, you know, so it's not, it's not, uh, you know, as long as you know what you're buying. Um, so that, that's how they become available. Skills in terms of installation of things like that, it's a bit ropey. There are sort of um, various firms which are charging a slight premium for installing items as, as well. So for instance, one of the things that really annoyed me was the, um, the grant that was available for low energy last year, towards the end of last year, which um, has now um, gone for air source heat pumps, for instance. Um, 
And um, I was looking at the grants there, but you know, to have someone install an air source heat pump with a grant, it would cost you effectively around six thousand pounds or eight thousand pounds, and the government would give you four or five, fifty percent of it. But to buy that kit is two thousand eight hundred, and really, it's only about another one and a half grand max to install it. So people were making money on this, you know. So I, I, I find the whole grant thing. It, it hasn't really worked. Although it's good people are making money on it because we need it to be a profitable sector. It's too chunky. For, but the profitability on it is too chunky to make it to make it not compatible with, with replacing a boiler. I still get questions from people saying, you know, now in 2021, um, say, oh, I'm looking at replacing my boiler. And I'm thinking, well, we're not going to be replacing gas boilers close to 2025, really. We should be looking at air source heat pumps. And there isn't a drive for that skill set at the moment. There isn't a drive. Let's train people up to install these. I don't see that. I don't see um, the skill set in installing windows properly with airtight membranes and airtight tapes. I don't see that unless we teach the builders ourselves. There's definitely an enormous skill gap between um, what we're commonly doing and what we need to do. But guess what? The, the good thing about it is that we're, we need to start to do things properly. Passive house is not something that is exceptional. It's something that is proper. It's just building well. That's what it's about. It's learning how to actually do things correctly. And that's good for everybody and for the industry too. But there is definitely an enormous uh, skill shortages in the quantity. You know, if we want to be rolling out retrofit en masse, we need hundreds of thousands of trade um, people around the country. And for example, on air tightness, there's definitely a, a huge shortage, even of people who, who can do carry out the tests, uh, let alone teach and so I think at the moment there is probably something like 150 people a year who are getting this passive house certification, but that should probably be around the thousands, not the hundreds. Marion Bailey, Rich Jusitsky, thank you both so much for joining me today. You've been listening to 80 Conversations with me, Isabel Allen. You can subscribe free of charge at architecturetoday.co.uk forward slash podcasts.